gosh, I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Yeah, that's exactly the score, man. I, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd, I'd probably kind of come in the forehead. What's up, everyone? Welcome to KafaruCast. Frank has left me high and dry. I'm just kidding. Frank went elk hunting. I'm not sure where. Um, so I'm solo here, but I have got a longtime friend uh, sitting across from me. And uh, I guess, are you the co-owner or helper out or what are, of Sheep Rock Outfitters? What yeah, I'm, I'm a co-owner with uh, Scott Sanborn here. And then I got to my left, Scott, which I just met, Sanborn. And you, it's, you've owned it for quite some time, you and your family. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we've been we've been in the business for about like seven years as far as officially owning it, but taking care of the place for a long time. Gotcha. So, John, we've known each other since probably two thousand eight. Yeah, I'd say early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, quite yeah, yeah, a long time. So, kind of crazy with John. Um, as as most people know that listen in, I was into the uh, commercial glass industry. John's dad actually owned. I think the largest glass company in Colorado at one time. At the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which uh, I never, I never worked for that specific uh, company. What, what was the name of that one? Uh, Denver West Glass. Oh, yeah, Denver West. So, yeah. Ken Carroll, Denver West. What was the other one? Uh, what's the old guy? It was kind of Dick and Golden. A A A. Something E Perna. A E P. Yeah, A E P. A E P. Um anybody listening is gonna laugh at this. Um <laughs> anyway. And uh but I met John not through the glass business, um, through a mutual friend and we uh we turkey hunted together, which was a blast in uh it wasn't really hunting, uh I would say. I I've never seen that many turkeys in my life and I've hunted turkeys everywhere. It's kind of over by parachute, basically. It, it is in parachute, yep. And that was what was your buddy's name? Alex Bauer. Alex, yeah, that was Alex got that his, land. His grandfather owned that land. Uh, they almost went belly up on it. They couldn't afford it, and it was in their family for quite some time. But they were looking for uh, to make ends meet with it, and then they got into the oil and gas. And obviously, as we all know in that area, it's it was a gold mine for them, and. Um, you know, they, none of their family was really into hunting. Yeah. Um, so it, it showed, you know, with the amount of wildlife that was in that area, and turkeys especially. And they had some of those crazy, you know, white turkeys. And, I mean, I think every sit we had, it was just, you know, an absolute freak show of, of turkeys coming in. And yeah, out it constantly. made Primo's videos look bad or, <laughs> or Drury. Like I, and it wasn't like I was a turkey calling expert at that time. Um you, John, actually, I don't know if he told you this. John hit one at 78. Was it 78? It, well, it was, we were walking <laughs> into our blind and uh, we were, we were walking in, we were walking down that road and those two toms popped up on the road right there in front of us and you ranged them. They were 33 yards and we both draw back and let an arrow fly. You drilled yours flopping around on the road and I was so let down that I missed mine. I was like, how did I miss that at 33 yards? And so we walked up on your bird, and I was like, give me a range. I'm going to fling an arrow at that sucker. And it was 69 yards, and I had the Spot Hog 7 Deadly Pins on there. So I had a 70-yard pin with a bow that you helped me set up, actually. And uh, I just put my 70-yard pin and, and let the arrow fly. and Hit it right in the head. Right in the head. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was crazy. that uh, I think that same day in the blind, that literally was probably the most intense I'm going to get fun of my by my friends that that don't like hunting turkeys. So as as intense of a turkey hunting experience can be, 
there must have been 15 birds coming from all sides of us in that blind at one time. I had never seen shit like that in my life. Uh, that was by that river bottom. Yep. Yeah, yeah. that was crazy. It was, it was hard to like pick out a bird to shoot, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, it was wild. And then mm, Alex, uh, he ended up, I, I, I was, at that time, I ended up actually having to go to the hospital on that hunt. Um, he had got me permission, he and I, to go hunt some of the uh, kind of oil field company property in the plateaus back there. And I ended up having to go to the, he was drunk as shit, and I had gallbladder problems. I didn't know I'd never had them. I had one of those fucked up burritos at a gas station, which I never eat, and I was dehydrated, and then I ate Chili Mac, and I didn't know what was going on, but I'm like, I, I, I'm dying, right? Like, my gallbladder was in, I didn't know, so I woke his drunk ass up. He made it down that mining road to Eagle, and we went to whatever hospital was in Eagle. They gave me, like, an ultrasound. They're like, you have it's gallbladder, gallstones. I'm like, all right, so anyway, we'd, he didn't eat fat, or I didn't, wasn't. I, obviously, I wasn't paying that much of attention. I think I said, don't eat fat. It'll make it worse. Mostly as I was dehydrated. We went back in there, and I killed a buck. But this was the first time I had seen an arrow bounce off an animal. He shot like a 200-inch typical 4x4. Four four, but he was shooting like a 360-grain arrow in a rage. And um, Alex, as nice as he is, is not a technical guy. Um, At all. So I'm behind him. He shoots, and that broadhead opens vertical on the rib and just meep. And bounces out. So it just looks like a vagina on its rib, right? <laughs> Fucker runs off. And Alex is like, you think it'll die? I'm like, no. No, no it no, won't no. die. I'm like, that was a flesh wound. And uh, that was, you know, I've always shot super heavy poundage. I'm like, give me your fucking bow. And it was like one of those kids' bows. You know, I was like, yeah, that's part of the problem. And then uh, he's like, well, I bought. And it was Chuck Adams, you know, throwing an axe through an animal. And I'm like, well, you got to have the fucking ass behind it to get that arrow through it. And that thing bounced. And that area there, which is about impossible to, to hunt, has, I've never seen that many big deer. Like Crazy deer. I, and, I, and elk, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the elk in there are out of control. I'd never hunted. You guys hunted elk in there. We I, did. I had never hunted elk in there, but mule deer-wise, it was one of the only places you could drive around in a truck and see 180 to legit 210 mule deer. Offside, like, literally, Wisconsin, drive by, jump in the ditch, and shoot them just giant deer. Because I think you got to go through that road. Nobody has permission, and, and Alex did. So it was pretty damn crazy. And that was like 2010, maybe. Yeah. What's he doing now? Do you know? Uh, he's married. He actually has a 100-acre ranch in, uh, in Evergreen. And no kidding. Raising cattle, and he's got, I think he's got three boys now. So he grew up? Yeah, Holy to a shit. certain extent. He yeah. quit. You know, <laughs> when their family struck it rich with the oil and gas, he kind of let go of working, and he yeah. just stays at home, and, you know, he's just hangs out raising yeah. his two, his boys. They got some horses and, you know, kind of living a, you know, just a simple life mm -hmm. up there. Gotcha. Well, no, that's cool. And then uh, probably two years ago, three years ago, I think you hit me up on social media maybe or something or texted me. I can't remember. And we started shooting the shit. Uh, you had got me um, permission on um, uh, private land only kind of a tag, but you had started telling me about uh, the outfit that you guys, you know, own and operate. And, it's funny because I have tried to poach elk off of your land unknowingly until you told me that I would sneak in through the wilderness through the backside and try to call elk off of that land. And I was actually showing you guys photos of elk that uh, I was trying to poach off your land. Uh, one four hundred three, right? Is what that that one bull went four hundred one? Yeah, elk. yeah. It it uh, grossed about four hundred one or so, but you know that was green score, so yeah. ended up netting somewhere on like three seventy. Yeah, so it's like from you know from the tree line looking down into the willows with this giant rack lane. I'm like, 
this was before season. I was like, mother of God, that's a 400-inch bull, you know? And it had another bull with it that was probably 13, 14 years old. That I think it was a 9 by 11. Uh, maybe that was that older bull. Um, he was on his last leg back then. He didn't have a lot of life left in him. But all of those elk in that area go to your property for the most part. Um, and so you guys, obviously, um, try not to skip too far ahead. It, it, it is, I'm sure, a um, like Jurassic Park down there during the rut. Um, what do you guys kind of offer as far as hunts go? How many hunters do you bring in? And what kind of, I already know all this, but what kind of caliber of bulls are, are in that area? I'll let you take it, Johnny. Well, you know, we're, we're kind of building up our outfit. Um, Scott was running it uh, kind of as a part-time gig there. You know, he's, uh, uh, Scott's been born and raised on the ranch. Uh, his dad is, uh, was born and raised on Kenosha Pass. Well, we were born on the ranch, well, but yeah, we've it, been there our whole lives. might have been lives. conceived on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's right. very possible. Very <laughs> yeah. possible. Uh, but, you know, Scott's got a lot of experience there. Um, and uh, so when I met Scott, which was uh, about five years ago, four or five years ago, I actually was looking to um, book a, a, a hunt. And another mutual friend of ours was like, I was looking in Utah and New Mexico, and I, I, was, I had set out to, you know, take a 350 class bull is what I was after, you know. And I'm not like a huge trophy hunter in my life. I've always been kind of a meat hunter um, and just taking the opportunities I was given. So when I wanted to go, you know, set up a hunt, um, I reached out to a friend and he was like, Hey man, you got to call Scott, you know, Scott Sanborn and, and set up a hunt with him. Um, and it just so happened to work out. Our friend that year had a sheep tag an archery sheep tag. And so we were, uh, we ended up chasing sheep together for, um, about two weeks. And it was, uh, almost like an instant friendship, uh, during that period of time. And Scott and I got to know each other pretty well. And I ended up booking an elk hunt with him that year, a muzzleloader hunt, which, um, was an absolutely incredible experience for me, um, you know, hunting most of my life over in the Gunnison Basin. You know, I, um, you know, set up this hunt with Scott, and he had done all of the, all the homework. And um, opening day, I actually I, I rewind a little bit there. Uh, the day before opening muzzleloader, we had dropped over into this basin where he had followed this bull, dubbed the name Mister Majestic, and. Um, we popped into this drainage and he wasn't there, but there was a bear in the drainage. So Scott tells me, you know, let's pop over to this next one and see if we can't find this bull. And sure enough, we get over to that next drainage and this, this bull's hanging out there. Um, just an absolute stud of a bull, giant six by six bull. And, uh, so we set up a hunt for the next morning, opening morning. And Scott took me back in there and, you know, uh, I, I was a little slow to the hike. <laughs> too white tail fit. Yeah, too white tail fit, and uh, not enough elk shape there. But um, yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to white tail fit season right now because I am beat the fuck up. So there's nothing wrong with white tail fit. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Scott drags me up this drainage. I think we took off from the truck at three in the morning. Yeah, and- yeah. There was like that that mine shaft that we barely missed. It was so dark. It was oh, filled with water. Yeah, you was... step in that thing, you just disappear. <laughs> that was yeah. that was pretty creepy. But yeah, we got up there. What he was like, like we had the that bull coming at us at like thirteen yards or something. Right. Muzzle loader. They almost ran over the top of us. Oh lord! And I was laying prone there, but I never had a shot. Like they came by just right over the top of this ridge, and I just I couldn't get a shot on him. 
So, you know, they kind of went over and Scott had a general idea as to where they were going to bed. So I, we backed off of there and came back down. And I'm, I'm thinking, all right, let's go back to the house or whatever. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. We're staying <laughs> right here. We're going to sit right here until that bowl gets up. And, you know, elk make that midday shift, you know. And that was something that was eye-opening to me at the time. You know, I typically go hunt the morning, back out, go hunt the evening. You know, those movement patterns uh, was Pretty much, you know, they've, they've, I've had a lot of success with that in my life or whatnot, but uh, Scott was like, yeah, let's, let's uh, hunker down right here and, and uh, these elk are going to get up for a midday shift. So we literally barely, belly crawled over this little ridge and we got behind these three little high alpine uh, conifer trees. They're like jack pine or bristlecone, whatever. Yeah, a little yeah. spruce yep. up top. Yep. 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 Um, and uh, we, we laid down there and we could see the bull and there was, uh, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 cows with them or so. Yeah. Say? yeah. Uh, and we could sit there. He bedded down right in the center of him. This bull never bugled one time. Uh, no, he was like a growler. Yeah. Like, he never laid out a bugle once. And his growl was damn near quiet. I yeah. mean, you, he would mm-hmm. grunt. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, if you weren't right on him, you wouldn't hear it, you know, kind of thing. He didn't need to announce to the world that he was in there pretty much is what it came down to. Um, so sure enough, that bull uh, bedded there and we were watching him had our spot and scope set up and we were hiding behind these, these little, uh, spruce trees and, and, uh, about one o'clock or noon, 1230, something like that. Yeah. In that uh, time frame, you know, they all stand up to make that midday shift, go get some water. And we're in a high mountain basin, you know, so willows right on the above tree line tucked into some pines or whatever. And, and, uh, they all get up and they start grazing down to the Creek. And, uh, you know, of course my heart's racing at you know, mock speed and, um, they kind of sneak around and they're coming and they were just going to literally walk right onto our front porch. I mean, they were coming right to us and this one cow blows up and she takes off running back across the drainage and the bull didn't want her to leave. So he takes off chasing her, circles back around, comes, tries to bring her back. He finally just gives up on her. Just like, screw you, hell with you. And he comes back to his cows. Well, they start, you know, they start grazing and, and they end up bedding at 300 yards on this hillside just below us, right out in the open. And we knew when they got up, again, they were going to come right back. We were pinched. We had them pinched between where they wanted to be to graze in the evening and, and, and where they were bedded. So they come, they, they all bed back down, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, that fucking cow, that lone cow that left us, <laughs> comes through that, that basin at full run and comes right into the center of the elk. And they all stand up and they're like, what is going on? You know, and they're starting to freak out and they all get in a single file line and they're, they're looking, you know, everything's sentried out and looking around what the hell's going on. And I'm, I'm assuming the thermals at that time where you guys were at are straight up, like they're blowing straight up. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, we had the right wind, you know, we, it was actually pretty calm out that day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was really nice. Like that It was open and morning muzzle or, you know, probably like reaching 60 degrees on top of the mountain. Calm as can be. Beautiful fall day. You know, I mean, it, it, we couldn't ask for better weather. Bluebird day. Um, but anyways, that cow comes back in there, and they all, they all stand up, and they're all on edge, sentried out, looking around like, what the hell's going on? And instead of them coming up, and literally they were going to walk down this trail that was maybe 40 yards, 50 yards right out in front of us, and you could just see where the elk over the years had just cut a path through the side of the hill. They slide down below us, and... Um, the, the cows start piling through and there was this little clearing and Scott put a range on them at 150 and I, I, I bought this badass custom muzzle loader and all this stuff and 
uh, Scott ranges him a 150 and, um, he goes, all right, when he steps out, I'll tell you when, and I'm on my sticks shaking like a leaf and bull steps out, you know, in, in the 10 out of 10 guys in this world, it was a bull of a lifetime. And I get down on my muzzle loader, open sights, uh, shooting 150 yards, which I felt pretty damn confident shooting at that distance. Um, squeeze off the round and boom. And we hear a whack. And the whole herd blows up. Obviously they take off running down the drainage, going across hillside. And that bull is out running the cows as he's going away. <laughs> and I look at Scott. I was like, I think I hit him. And he goes, no, you didn't hit that. Fucker, man. You <laughs> flat out missed it by a fucking mile. And I'm sitting there like, you motherfucking idiot, dude. You just hiked your fat ass all the way the fuck up here. How much you- did he miss it by? Uh, it was over his back, you know. Yeah. I could see, I could see the rock explode behind him. So yeah. you know, a good from hitting the elk, a good six inches. Yeah, <laughs> so, kill zone maybe a foot or two. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so we, you know, head hung. We fucking. That was, that's one out of nine days, you know. Yeah. I, I always say it's twenty seconds. It's like it ain't over, man. We could come back, get on this bowl. We could go try others. We got a bunch more out here. Yeah, that's one thing. Uh, uh, Bart Lancaster has been assholes to heroes and it only takes a couple seconds. Like yeah. that's yeah. all you need. Yeah. Just stay with it. Eventually you'll be a hero. Yep. Oh, see that. I so, mean, it, and open a morning too. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better hunt, you yeah. know? And like, oh. just like Johnny explains, you know, that was a memory of a lifetime right there. Yeah. He'll never forget that. Never. There's yeah, the parts of the story. Guarantee he'll never forget. <laughs> yeah. 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 You don't forget those. <laughs> or, or, or that damn bull, man. I swear I look at him weekly, you know, we got pictures of him and dude, he was just, he was something that, you know, uh, us as, as Western hunters, you know, we, we spend our lives chasing that caliber of elk, you know, I mean, just something that you just don't get opportunities at. Well, and what, what did he think he scored? Did you ever end up killing him? No, no. He uh, he disappeared on us. I think he jumped over in the other unit yeah. and didn't come back. We didn't see him again the rest of the year, but I'd, I'd put a 360 on him for mm-hmm. sure. Well, and, and it with um, and I, you probably don't follow along as much. You follow along somewhat with the podcast. Like, we get a lot of questions where people have watched a lot, way too much fucking Primo, right? Right. Like, you take, um, and I've talked about this before, nothing wrong with hunting uh, private land, right? I mean, I you know, it, 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 yeah, I. You kind of hope to build your way up to that. I get shit sometimes about, oh, you know, you used to hunt more public land. I'm like, yeah, I've worked really hard and I'm not going to hunt just public land. It sucks sometimes. And this year we hunted a ton of public land, but limited draw units. OTC public is, is rough, oh, right? It's horrible. And you can be successful. And um, it's, but to, for the caliber of, of, of bull like you guys are talking about, is if ratio one and, 20,000 maybe, you know, you probably hear right. how many hunters, there's probably one in 20,000 that shoot on an OTC tag, a 360 bull. Right. Um, and that's in Colorado, you know, different in Arizona, but, uh, the re- <laughs> the reality is for you to shoot that type of bull, probably gonna take a little money. Um, and when I, when I say that, meaning landowner voucher, um, you know, potentially, um, horseback in a long ways on a limited draw, a private ranch, and, and there's nothing wrong with those. When you see guys like a DeJocko Willinks and Dudleys and Cams and, and uh, Rogans, you know, those are those are twenty to thirty to forty thousand dollar tags. Um, I don't have any issue with that. It's just people sometimes I think think that that's happening on OTC. Right. It, right. It fucking ain't, right? It's no. just not. And and again, like I don't I'd be a hypocrite. I go hunt in Alberta, you know, I hunt you got me a private landowner tag and I am going to shoot a giant deer off there if I can, and it would not happen. It's easy on public. That's just life. Yeah, in some in some areas too. There's just 
not you know, there. The, yeah, they're not there. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, those those animals, you know, they'll, they'll find um, safety in that private ground just due to pressure and that kind of stuff as well. Looks so. like down in the Sangres, um, you know, those elk are smart. They're like, oh, shit, there's a bunch of fat hunters, and then they go to private land. Yeah, and you see them do that in our area too. All and, I mean, it's it's kind of like a 50-50 of what we hunt. We don't, mm-hmm. just, we don't just stick to the private ground that we got. I mean, mm-hmm. we have about 10,000 acres that we can go hunt on, and for the most part, we're the only ones that can be on it. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, you know, it's uh, – when you come home with us, you're not just hunting with like just Johnny or I, like us being the guides. Yeah. yeah. We're the guys that you see all the time. You know, the guys up front, you know, we're your entertainment pretty much. Um, but behind the scenes, we have three or four other guys that are spotting for us all yeah. the time. And they're out there checking on every, every basin, every valley, any little nook and cranny that we know these elk are at. And when they find something, they give us a ring and we go check it out. And if it's, if it's that caliber that the client wants, that's what we go for. Yeah. So we do a lot of public ground too. It's just, yeah, I mean, having that that private ground in the in the back pocket, that's a big thing in which we use it a lot on John's hunt too because, I mean, like that first day, yeah, I, I hiked his dick into the dirt. Yeah. He, was, he was hurting. So the next two days we spent down low hunting the private ground and had some really good hunts. I mean, <laughs> this asshole wouldn't let me shoot this 330 bull. I had him at like 60 yards and I was like, I'm looking at him and he's telling me, don't you shoot our seeds. Don't you shoot our seeds. And I'm like, dude, I have never taken a bull that size, you asshole. Let me shoot. He's like, don't you shoot that thing. And then he, uh, he ends up like, you know, giving it a wave and it's like, oh, fuck you. I'm out of here kind of thing. I'm going to run back over here on the ranch, you know, and I'm like, I'm sitting here. I, I got back and I was laying in bed that night. And I was like, that an asshole. <laughs> let me shoot that. that was like was it a three year old, three thirty bull, four year old? Yeah, I'd put him in that four or five. Yeah. He he just he didn't have the strong genetics either. We called him narrow marrow. Yeah. Because it's like his antlers just almost went straight up. Yeah. And it was like, you know, Johnny, he 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 put in some work and we still had a lot of time left. I was like, No, you can't you can't shoot that yet. Yeah. Maybe on the last day if you really need the meat, man. But yeah. what's well, it's funny, can I tell the semi story I told you earlier with my buddy hunting? near you guys oh yeah yeah, yeah so my my buddy uh one of my best friends scotty he we we guide together and uh, he's an outfitter for our dad mule deer and uh we had tried to get him some landowner tags anywhere in that corridor right and he ended up um with your your guys's neighbor got him a, a landowner tag and uh they were funny because scotty wanted to go hunt the willows and they were like, no, you'll blow them out. And he's like, well, it's working for those fuckers across the street, which that's you fuckers, right? So he's like, they're fucking killing them over there. And Scotty would text me and he's like, are they having success? And I'm like, I don't think John's churching it up. The fuck, the photos I'm getting, yeah, they're doing pretty goddamn good. Um, and again, having the ability, if you blow them out, to go hunt the public if they go over there and then come back down. And I, you know, the first time I had been, um, I've never used a, a really a, a, an elk outfitter, right, or whatever. And I got invited to go on a hunt um, in Montana. I'll leave all names out. Strangest shit I'd ever dealt with. We pull up, uh, and they're like, you ready? You know, and I'm thinking it's going to be kind of a hunt, right? And, and uh, they stick me in a fucking hay bale blind off the highway. Uh, but there was alfalfa. So I'm like, oh, that's heroin, right? They're, they're coming. Right. <laughs> and then uh, the guy I was with, he's a few... <laughs> few uh phone poles down from me and a fucking tree stand and i and i mean literally we're on the highway i mean this is weird for me and fuck me there's 350 elk in front of me in the next hour uh just going crazy and they were so paranoid to uh to blow they they've got one small section 
And when those elk are out of there, they're out of there. Where with you guys, I'm not going to give away exactly where you're at. They're going to public for the most part. Um, they're probably not going to cross to other private because they're smart enough to know, well, we're just going to get shot at over there too. And so you guys don't really ever lack in any action. Um, meaning it's not like um, you don't run out of options for people. You can tree stand hunt. You can call. You can get above and glass. I mean, you guys offer with where you're at quite a bit of options for hunters. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've, we're very strategic about how we hunt it, yeah. right? Because just such as the story you were saying, you know, we can blow them off the ranch too. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, but if you strategically hunt it and hunt the outsides – and when the time's right, putting pressure, you know, like if there's that one bull that the client is just absolutely set on and it requires us to go into that core area to get on them, like we will do that. We're going to try to put you on him on the outskirts, you know, to kind of keep that, that sanctuary going with yeah. those elk. Um, and so we do, we, we said, we said a guy, we said a muzzleloader guy first time ever sitting in a tree stand muzzleloader hunting. He sat for an hour and a half and shot a bull. I mean, literally just come walking. And the thing is, is he ended up shooting the satellite bull. The big bull walked by <laughs> and then he, he wasn't ready, didn't get his gun up. <laughs> and then the first bull that walks back by him, he just drills it. And he's texting us. We, we named this bull uh, VB and he's texting us. He's like, oh, I, I dropped VB. I dropped VB. And so we're like, oh, we're coming for you, you know, and we drop in there and, and he's like, oh, I think I made a good shot on him. And we kind of sneak in and, you know, he made a. He made a, a good enough shot to to demobilize him for yeah. for the time being, but we walked up on him standing standing up, just you know he was he was on his way out, but he yeah. was still alive. Um, and we he puts another round in him with the muzzleloader, and we walk up on him, and we're like, well, that definitely isn't VB, <laughs> and it was what kind of cat was that? Like a two ninety three hundred type bull? Yeah, he'd go a three. 310, 315. So VB, was he like 350, 370? Yeah, yes. 360. He's all, all, all broken up. We ended up getting uh, about 80 yards from him at the very last day of archery, or second to last day, yep. and got a really good look at him. But he got his butt kicked by something even bigger because he was hobbling around. He just quit the cows entirely. Yeah, just gave up. Well, yep. it, it's crazy. Like, I have been on hunts where guys are like, hey, will you, will you come help? You know, 20 point unit and i'm like you know what you're gonna need help with is me fucking holding you down because you've never seen a 330 yeah, like yeah. that's and that's the reality you hunt public land for 20 years trying to draw a tag and then uh, or in these guys case you know uh, book with you guys whatever the first 310 that walks by better pray to fucking god that you have an <laughs> equipment failure because they've never seen one yeah. um and that's just life well i know you know it's i've i've even screwed up you know doing this my whole life like recently in the past years where i i give a bull more credit than what he is and you get up to him and there's some serious ground shrinkage it's yeah. it's just part of the game you know trying to field judge and you're doing it so fast and you know everything's in the moment you're like i got four seconds to make the call yeah you make the call you get up there i lost about 20 30 points of what yeah. i thought he was well, and it, it doesn't matter. I Goat hunts, I just went, uh, you guys know the Clay Hill, the uh, mule deer guys? Uh, anyway, they gov tag guys. They, mm -hmm. they asked me if I'd help them out on a goat hunt, and I've been on a lot of goat hunts. And uh, the goat we found or whatever, you know, with the family, we hiked in, and I grossly underjudged it the first time. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's two or three years old, maybe eight and a quarter. But we're 2,000 yards away. And I'm like, let's get closer and see if something else comes out. Well, Skylar's funnier than shit. She she drew the tag. That's Clay's uh, sister. 
So we get closer and I'm like, um, you know, I'm the rabbit. I'm like, you guys wait here. I'm going to summit, go to the other side, check the base. And she looks at me. She's like, so if you find one over there, do I have to climb that? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you can go fuck yourself. We're going to kill this one. And I'm like, all right, so let's get closer. So we get to like 800 yards out and I get to 115 on it. And I'm like, uh, Clay, I have grossly underjudged this fucking goat, this thing. We need to kill it now. Like right fucking now. Cause we're not, the storm was coming yesterday. Um, and I'm like, where it's Monday, I'm like, Tuesday, there's a storm coming. We need to kill it. And he's like, yeah. So we get set up and everything else. And, you know, it's, I said, when the sun hits him, he's going to stand, guaranteed. And uh, the film, it'll be better because we got lights. You know, the, the sun's right in our face. Because um, where he's bedded, uh, you know, sun rises in the east, east elevations to his back. It comes over that summit and we can't see shit. And I'm like, by the time we can film well, the sun will hit him and he'll stand. And literally a fraction of the sun hit him. He stood and I'm like, and I've not had great luck with goat hunting. Like a lot of running down and stabbing and like horrible. <laughs> she poaxed that fucker first shot. You, I, it's almost embarrassing on camera because you can hear me. Fuck, that never happens like that. Ever. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh my God. Usually there's running and chasing and shit. And I'm like. For one of the smallest animals, they're one of the toughest. Oh Lord. And it died on a, a cutting table the size of this table. She flipped it where it was bedded <laughs> on a flat rock. And I, we got up there. I'm like. You literally could not, usually I'm on a shale slope upside yeah. down. And I was like, we're on like the largest cutting table in Colorado. This is perfect. And so we filmed, you know, but the, the judging thing, man, it, I can always get half-assed. Yep. Shoot it. Right. But some of the hunts I've been on where they're like, especially guys that pay a ridiculous amount, yeah. they're like, I'm not pulling a trigger unless it's 400 inches. I'm like, right. well, I'm not your guy. Cause I haven't seen many of those. So <laughs> it's big that, that would, that doesn't work for some guys, but usually I would imagine same with you guys. I can get it, you know, close, but in the heat of the moment, I think when you're not with somebody in there in a tree stand, they see a 40 inch, 44 inch main beam, yep. that fucking elk's in trouble. Oh, yeah. It's going Tr down. Trying to, Give pictures ahead of time. Don't shoot that. That shit doesn't generally work. They black right. out. Right. I'm, I'm assuming that's how it's been for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, really, this being kind of like the first year that we really tried using the tree stands, it, yeah. was, uh, it was a good learning lesson for everybody all around. But, yeah, I mean, even, like I said, even when we're with them, you know, it's, uh, it's really like doing the, the homework, knowing which bulls are out there, which ones you want to go for. That's, that's really how you secure the ones. Like, uh, you know, the king that we took, he was... He was one that we followed for three seasons. And then the the big seven after that, that was a two-year in the making bowl. And so, like, knowing which animals are out there kind of helps with that that uh, ground sh shrinkage situation you come oh, yeah. into. Well, what kind of caliber, caliber of bulls are, are in there? Because obviously, you know, I get um, hounded. I was telling you yesterday, I'm like, we, we got to do a podcast, John, because I forget, right? I get busy. Hey, where should I go for elk? I want to shoot a 340 bull. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got some friends. I'll get back with you. Yeah, that's a lie. I fucking forget. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, John, we got to do this podcast because you, you, where you guys are located is um, very eye appealing. You know, that, that area is, you know, it's like a movie. But, you know, I don't know how to yeah. explain it. I'm used to it. It's by my house, but, you know, yeah. it's within an hour. But um, with what you guys offer and the amount of people asking me about questions, I wanted to get the info out because one, I trust you guys. And then two, it's pretty fucking cool looking, right? I mean, like I've done giving guys some info on hunts where I'm like, well, you're hunting dog hair thick timber yeah. and it fucking sucks. Like you're not, should I bring a spotter? I'm like, yeah, if you want to work out. Like, yeah, yeah, you can't see, I'm telling you, you can't see shit. Those kind of hunts, you get the the calling, right? You get, you know, you get that aspect of it, but to to truly see the Colorado high country, 
some of the coolest, and I'm not going to say where you guys are at. Some of the peaks above you are some of the coolest, you know, peaks in Colorado. So like as far as caliber, what are you guys looking at caliber wise? How many hunts do you offer? Kind of list that out. So, you know, people kind of know what you, what you guys are about. Our like quality animals in that area, it's definitely like your, your high end quality is 350 plus. Um, I wouldn't say there's like, uh, four hunters running around everywhere. They're out there. Yeah. They're extremely hard to find. Um, 350s on the higher end for sure. And then 330s are typically your satellites. And then when you get down anything below 300, we typically call a raghorn. Yeah. Um, Which number, is saying something because that's a yeah. fucking toad on public land. You know, and that's <laughs> that's it too. And that's like, spoiled. Yeah. 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 Like you said, like having the, the amount of resources that we have to hunt, it's not, it's not just one type of hunting. You don't have to stick to water. You don't have to stick to one tactic of calling. You can do so many different avenues of approach on how you can want to harvest an animal it's uh it gives us options to go for whatever animal we want and how long are the hunts like the archery hunt when 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 they book like what's is it a is it a seven day hunt a five a ten what what is it so you know what what we do is we want to give our clients every opportunity to take home that animal that they're there to hunt yeah um, so we hunt from with the exception of archery obviously being a 30-day season we hunt from sunup on opening morning till the sun sets on, on the closing day of that season. So our muzzleloader hunts, they run the whole duration. All of our hunts, except for our archery, and our archery um, starts two days after our muzzleloader, and then we run it out to the end of the season. Right. And so we give our clients every opportunity. Um, you know, our whole crew, we put forth, you know, a relentless effort to find and, you know, these elk and put our clients on them, whether it be the first time we go out to hunt them or we're pursuing that animal for five days before we get them. Yeah, staying on them. Yeah. Right. And, and that's something that we do unique. I uh, feel, but, but you guys don't start any archery early. You start until you, you're waiting for it to be cranking. Yeah. Um, it's, that's, that's the best time to be out yeah. there with a bow for sure. I, I would assume in the earlier seasons, it would be if you were going to do it, a, a tree stand type sitting water type hunt i'm i'm assuming because you're going to have guys ask you that and one of the things that i think is hard because people are so excited is if game time has started we need to be playing you can blow a lot of shit out at the worst time and and that's how i look at it i'm not speaking for you guys but yeah it's great to get out the first week because you want to go hunt it's also great to blow every fucking animal out when it gets good and when they're not aggressive and they're not calling, you got a chance. Yeah. But it's not as good of a chance in that that last ten days of the season when they're just yeah they're stupid, right? They're I mean, think of it. Not to get into my whatever spiel on calling an elk, but how many millions have been lost to a vagina from guys humans? It's ten times worse because they only get to hump once a year. Right. So you think how stupid we are. We get to hump all year. Well, with elk, they're really stupid once they get cranking. And I try to put that into perspective with people as a human of some guys will crawl through broken glass for a hot chick at a bar, right? <laughs> right but we yep. get to do it year round. These elk only get to breed for that short period of time. And if you start early, you have the potential of blowing them out when they are in, in screwing up the most killable time you have um and you guys are smart for for doing that um you get somebody in there they're going to be hounding you hey can i do this and and i'm only again i'm just guessing but 
if you started that first week of season, how much would that potentially affect that last 10 days or so? Right. And that's, that'd be something where, you know, if, if somebody were wanting to hunt an early season like that, I mean, we would, we would be able to cater to it. We'll, we'll make whatever package they want, but it, they have to be realistic on the size and the challenge that it is of yeah. the animal. I mean, there are going to be littler bulls, the satellites that we would call them, or raghorns with the cows, and you could potentially hunt, hunt like an early rut type hunt. But if you're going for a big one, you got to really get it in your mind frame. You're chasing one animal all by itself that's not ready to be breeding. You know, the cows aren't hot. The big bulls aren't going to be with them. Well, and, and, and again, that's a, it's, it's weird how that works almost uh, what comes out of the woodwork in the rut. That, that right. ram I just shot for the owdad. Mm-hmm. We dropped in on a group. I think it was a giant, by the way. Well, the story's even crazier. We drop in. I'm with Ryan Barnwell. We call him Permagrain, constantly smiling. Good kid. I'm like, dude, come with me. If I get a ram, shoot a you because we had to shoot some for the uh, biologist. He needed like from the third vertebrae up for testing. Or anyway, it was a good reason for us to shoot shit, right? So yep. he drops down, and there's some donkey 30, 32 inch rams, um, it, equivalent to a 330 to 350 bull. Great, great rams. We drop in on them. We get to 54 yards. I got a stick. We got to wait, right? Well, one of those ewes uh, went into estrus. Two rams. We're bedded in the cliffs we didn't see above us. And the moment she started getting pretty spry and the rams were chasing her, that's the time the big dicks came out. They flew out of those fucking cliffs. And I, well, he ran right over here. I shot him at 16 yards in the chest. That ram I shot was 15, 14. So it's his, I don't even that's know crazy. if he could breed, but he can come down there and fuck shit up. Right. Bulls are no different. And, and I would say, and I would get, be interested in your guys' experience. You see like, why does that bull have those cows? Well, that bull's just keeping track of those cows until the big daddy comes in and then comes in and takes them from them. That's the time when you guys are talking about when they're most killable, and that's when you're hunting them mostly. Is that yeah, no, one hundred percent accurate there. And and uh, you know what what we're doing with Sheeprock Outfitters is we're we're setting up a world class experience, right? And we don't want to, you know, we don't we don't want to go in there and do more damage than good when it comes to you know, putting people on elk of a lifetime. And so we, like, like Scott said, we could do an earlier season hunt, but you know, when a guy's coming in and he's got all these expectations of, uh, of, you know, seeing a lot of big bulls. And that's one thing we do is like that muzzle loader and the last week of archery, you're going to see hundreds and hundreds of elk every day. And and you got to weed through a lot of elk to find those bulls that you really want to take. And not, not, don't get me wrong. You're seeing the big bulls, a lot, you know, but, you know, taking a herd bull that's got 40 or 50 cows and upwards of a hundred at times, you know, you got to play, you know, you got to be on your A game. You're, yeah. you know, there, you and there's some luck involved too. I it, mean, you got to be there to have the luck. So always. Yeah. yeah. And so we like to, we like to run that later season, um, in the archery because I mean, just this year we had a couple of guys, uh, Ben Grace and, and, uh, Brent out there with us and, um, you know, Brent, Never had hunted elk before in his life. Um, first time archery hunting. So his first elk hunt ever is an archery elk hunt. And his first day with us, uh, the morning, uh, we, Scott and I split up. And he went, took Ben one place, and I went over with Brent. And we kind of were on, we were on the, the, the ranch there. And um, we kind of came in the back way, and we were hoping they were coming up into these pines to bed. And, you know, uh, Brent and I got into some elk and, and had them, you know, tons of cows, bulls bugling, just 
just a crazy good morning experience for your first time ever in the Elkwoods. And I can agree with that because he was sending me videos. I was like, holy fuck. Because I, <laughs> I was getting ready to, I was going to go take some photos and hang out. Right. I ended up going on, a, on an elk hunt myself and you were sending me videos and I was like, because you kept saying, bro, you got to come look at this. It's like Jurassic Park. It's insane. And that's when you guys went in was right. Were they shitting their pants? Oh, d- like the guy's like, is this, is this normal? He's like, uh, I, uh, d- does everybody get into experiences like this? And I'm like, you know, you go talk to any of these guys that are hunting our fence line or whatever, and they're going to tell you they hear them, but do yeah. they see them? Do they have, you know, encounters with them? Are they, you know, interacting with them? It's, it's pretty slim unless we're putting enough pressure to kind of push them that way or whatever. And don't get me wrong. They, they're, they're not just locked into the ranch. They, they drift, you know, those bulls, they, Get into a you know a harem of cows and another bull whoops his ass and he's out cruising you know he's looking you know or whatever um, so you know that that kind of interaction is, is pretty wild but that evening um, we went back to to camp and took some naps and kind of regrouped and we were like yeah let's let's go back out and get on that same herd this evening and we actually had plans of putting them both in tree stands of where they we knew they went in and they were going to come out that night and it, in that area over the last week. It had just literally been just a freak show. I mean, elk everywhere, coming out of every little pocket and just the, the bugling was just nonstop. I mean, you're hearing it. It, it almost gets annoying because you, you're like, I, I, I don't know what way to go. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just it, they're so vocal. So we put we get to the first. We're actually walking in to set this guy in a tree stand right, right in a hot spot. And we're walking in and this satellite bowl and a spike and some cows come walking out literally right by the tree stand and we all just hit the deck you know we're like oh we're, we're pinned down um scott and i talked we, we cow called to him a little bit there was a big bull bugling back in the trees back behind him um which was that that vb bull he that who he was who we had we were out to get that night um and um so we scott was like you know you know what i think we're, we're safe let's go ahead and let's slide in here let's get him up in the tree stand let's work around and try to get brent up in his tree stand and um we get we get bent up in the tree and we start leaving him and we're walking around to get to the other side run into more spike run into yeah. more elk i mean they're, they're literally just like parting Everywhere. ways but they're this is like in the, in like a twenty acre section of the property yeah, yeah. You. like they, they, and this is just <laughs> one little group like we're looking down into the other parts of the ranch, we're seeing elk moving around that are a good seven, eight hundred yards away from us. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Um, so, and and these guys, as far as just so people make sure they don't have to tree stand hunt. No, no, and, no. and and that's the one thing again is is um for the greater good of your tag. Sometimes it's smart to sit a tree stand or a ground blind or a water hole. Damn right. Some guys get it stuck in their mind because probably from watching too much elk hunting videos, which I get. Mm-hmm. But it's not like because you're in a tree stand. You may not get the full-on screaming in your face running at you, but you're still getting the full-on screaming running around and will end up under you. And, and what I'm trying to say is sometimes you learn a lot more and see a lot more about elk from the tree stand because if you're on the ground, especially if you suck, you're only going to get a small percentage of that because you're going to blow them out. If you shut up and sit in a tree stand, you're going to get to watch a lot, of, a lot of elk behavior, a lot of screaming, a lot of, you know, whatever – some guys get it locked in their head where they got a call. And I get that. Right. But if you get smoked physically one day, tree stand's a great option. And you get generally see more. Oh, and yeah. I don't think people probably take that into consideration as much as they should. Now, 
I'm not saying everybody should go sit in a fucking tree stand for 30 days for elk, but right. it is it is very deadly. It does yes. work. And sometimes it's like, well, hey, we had that experience the day before and you fucked that up. Go sit in the tree stand and let's kill it. <laughs> um, I'm assuming that's kind of how you guys looked at it is you do what's best for the client that day, that experience and his physical level at that time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, we can we watch the elk, you know, morning and night like you know, the, the day before, and we just develop a plan before we go out, you know, and if we, if we determine that the, the stand's probably the best chance, then that's what we go for. Yeah. If we think, you know, getting to the stand, cause they're all bedded around it and obviously we can't get into it. That's a dumb idea. Then we switch it up, go on a spot in stock or maybe on a call method or, you know, whatever the situation entails. And usually those bigger bulls are not easy to kill calling. Um, no. in my experience, even yeah. on private land, Oh, they got enough ass that you can't pull it away from them. Right. But what you can do, which is good, is they're screaming so much, they're letting you know where they are sometimes, and you can sneak in and, and, and maybe get a shot like that. Mm-hmm. With what you guys have going on, though, is probably the guy shooting the wrong elk because there's so much action on the way to the... When I say the wrong elk, not the biggest elk. How often is that happening where you're on the way to the toad and then you shoot the satellite because the guy's so excited? I mean, it's it small. Yeah, small percentage. Uh-huh. We, uh, we like uh, one scenario this year is you meaning know, he's begging you, please, can I shoot yeah, this? I got to yeah. imagine that happens a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I would be probably doing that because I'm a horrible trophy hunter. No, I so. mean, just like John said in his in his uh, his little what he was talking about earlier that 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 totally happens a lot. Yeah. You know, there's there's just so many good quality animals out there. It's like when the opportunity's presented to you, it's kind of hard to pass up. Yeah. And especially like guys that, you know, come from back East and stuff like that. And they've never had, you know, a, a mature bull, you know, they, they just don't have the experience. It doesn't matter how much you look at it on the internet. You know, it's hard to, in that moment, when you got a bull screaming, coming down the trail at you at 30 yards, you know, how, how do you tell a guy? No, you know what I mean? And that happened to Brent that, that night, actually, after uh, to finish up that story, we sneak around the edge of these trees you know, in elk the whole time, we quickly realized we ain't getting to the fucking tree stand. Yeah. There's no fucking getting there. I mean, the elk are just thicker and shit all the way through there. So we set him up in a, like a little stand. Uh, this is like four hours before night too. Yeah. A lot like, of time left. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah. It was, it was like it was like 2.30 yeah, in the afternoon. Like so. normally where you'd think like, you know, yeah, we got tons of time to get in there. You guys are going to sit for like three hours. You're going to be bored. Yeah. And it was as soon as we, soon as we got like, a quarter mile from the truck it was like holy crap yeah we were in them like yeah. literally just got out of the truck thinking oh we're just gonna take a little joy stroll down and drop these guys off the trees back out knew knowing they were coming the elk were coming that way we that day you know the rut was really coming to a peak at that point yeah and those bulls just aren't sleeping man they're 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 staying awake 24 hours a day they're protecting their harems they're breeding cows you know getting a little grass every now and then or whatever um uh, but they're spending Literally 20 to 24 hours a day on their feet, chasing, bugling, fighting, you know, breeding, you know, doing their thing. Um, So we set Brent in this little stand of of spruce trees right there. And Scott and I were like, well, we're really not going to be able to back out of here. Yeah. Because we're going to blow up elk because there's literally elk behind us. On and every we were literally surrounded by elk. We couldn't get out of the, where we were, so we backed off into this little stand of quakes, and um, him and I just st- set up a, a call sequence, you know, and we're hitting the calls and back and forth and uh, going silent, you know. It's a, and that's just as valuable as talking, you yeah. know what I mean? You got to keep them curious. Like you sit there and just 
hammer on the cow call and they they pinpoint you and they're like, ah, fuck you, I ain't coming over there. You know what I mean? So, you know, and Scott and I have, have gotten really good as a team together doing those call, you know, sequences and scenarios and moving around and making it sound like it's a nice herd of elk or whatever. So this bull comes right down the tree line. So it, it, he, an excellent bull. Um, you know, any guy that's archery hunting for the first day would never fucking pass on this elk. And we know that VB bull's coming, you know, or whatever. But that bull hears the cows and he's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to go get me some pussy. Yeah, and I'm not going to get my ass kicked in the middle of it, which is very important to him. Yeah. And so here he comes down and he's working the edge of the trees and Scott and I are sitting back there like, oh, gosh, he's going to come right into his lap. You know, I mean, he's just right on the right line. Yeah. And sure as shit, we, you know, we're looking through the binoculars. We were sitting maybe, what, 200 yards away or so. And, and we see... You know, I'm I'm calling. Scott gets on his binoculars. He's like, "Oh, he's at full draw." And I go to pull up, and he had already freaking let the arrow fly. Yeah. Uh, and we see him knock another one, and draws back and sends another arrow. And I'm thinking, "What the hell's going yeah. on? What happened? <laughs> yeah. Like, did did you miss the first shot? You know, and and whatever." So so of course we're excited for him. So we we slide over there, and we're like, "Hey, man, what happened?" What happened? He's <laughs> fucking hanging his head, and he's like, "Dude, I messed up." messed up man i messed up and i'm thinking oh he just flat out missed him and, and mind you before we took off these guys were drilling just you know yeah pipe lay, or copenhagen lids at 40 or yeah, whatever yeah. yeah i mean he was they were so dialed in i was super confident in, in their their ability to shoot um and so he's hanging his head and he's like man i just you know in the heat of the moment i just kind of you know I, I i didn't really get my my shit in the in mm-hmm. a group and i shoot and and uh he hit him a little far back forgot to look through the peep side or something <laughs> yeah, shit just, happens when you party naked it just happens but. uh and you know the bull was at 30 yards yeah. so i mean just right there in, in your in your lap you yeah know? about as gimme as you want to get right and uh so did he get him in the liver uh, so yeah he actually actually you know we what happened is that bull peels off from the cows he takes off up the hill and he walks by our other guy sitting in a tree stand, well, he had a GoPro running. Um, yeah. And he sees this bull come up. And so we got to kind of see, you know, the direction he was headed. Um, and, you know, we didn't see any marks in the, on him in the, in the video, on the, uh, on the GoPro video. And so we were like, huh, that's, you know, and he was like, I, I know I hit, we found his arrow and, the, you know, there was guts on it. And yeah. We like, shit, man, this is, this is not good, but we got to back out of here. Like, we can't go try to chase this bull. This is in the evening or whatever. And so... We actually slid around, let the guy sit in the tree stand, and then backed out. And, of course, that night for any hunter is always just nerve-wracking as yeah. hell. You know, they're sitting there. I think you, you and I had talked at this time because you found it the next morning. Yes. Right? Yeah, because yep. you sent me a photo. Yep. Okay, same same scenario. Yep, that's that same bull. And uh, he actually um, got really lucky. The bull only went about 100 yards, and he just bedded down because he was hurt. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, shot him, hit him right through the liver, um, the guts in the liver there. And he walked up, and from where the GoPro footage was to where that bull died, there was a couple of uh, spruce trees right blocking his view. And if he could, if if those trees hadn't have been there, he would have literally watched that bull bed down right there. Yeah. And and we go in the mor- next morning, and we're literally following fucking pin drops of blood going in there, and we're just like, we're all like, oh man, this is not looking good on our hands and knees, going through the fucking woods, looking around, and. uh Sure, shit. I like there was came like to a little tease. Scott has logged a bunch of that for habitat, yeah, for, for elk and whatnot. And 
I just happened to look up over my shoulder, and sure as shit, there he was fucking laying dead. And you should have seen that guy's face, man. It Super literally long. was like <laughs> the highlight. You know, I mean, he he. he it was, was cold then too, so I'm sure he got all the meat. Like, yeah, it was just you yeah know, a bonus. You know? Yeah. So no, he was yeah he got he got a, um you know he lost a little bit of it just being through the guts and it yeah, laying there or yeah. whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, for for your very first day ever archery elk hunting. Mm-hmm. that's the kind of experience that we strive for with yeah. that sheep rock you know just put those guys in those experiences that you know you just you can't double you know yeah. what i mean like it's it's a it's a once in a lifetime experience on world-class elk and and you know brent shot a hell of a respectable bull for his first bull yeah. ever um there's bigger bulls to be had um it's always bigger though i mean you know (laughs) you can can pick the fuck apart out of all all the elk you know or whatever but the the bigger thing is where it's and i well you know i've shot really big bulls and i still suck at trophy hunting and uh i'm only bringing this up because it's funny talk about upgrade time and my tag this year um there's the bull to cow ratio uh there's is so high in bulls that you don't bugle at these bulls much because they're like i don't you know i got three cows and i ain't losing them right so it's hard to get them to come anyway of course, the one bull, we've got eight or nine bulls screaming around us, and uh, Mike calls it in. I shoot it at nine yards or super close, right? And uh, I always just rip off a bugle after I shoot. One, to let the caller know I've shot, and two, to hopefully the bull will stop and I'll pit it again. I just let a T-Rex bugle out, and uh, I'm, I look at Mike, and he's like, he's down. He went like 40. He went 50 yards up the hill, rolled 20 closer, so he's right there. <laughs> I'm like, cool, man, uh, good, you know. So I, I, I had an arrow knock because I loaded another one, put it in my quiver, and I turned around and walked back to Mike, and Mike's like shaking his head. And I'm like, what? And he's pointing behind me. Fucking herd bull came in with 13 cows. <laughs> oh, the one time, right? And <laughs> yeah. It's 30 yards broadside, and I'm like, I literally threw my – I know me, right? I threw my fucking bow. I'm like, okay, I don't need that weapon in my hand. I'm going to lose my shit. And so Mike and I just 20 minutes – Watch that bull screaming, beating the shit out of other bulls. I mean, it was, it was cool. Now, I shot like a 280 bull and a 340 came in behind me. But again, the, you know, we just had a guy, Chris Perino, uh, with us down there. And he was funny because he, he, he didn't shoot a giant bull, but he had like your, t- he had the total package. I mean, he was so excited because he, one bull came in screaming, next one, and then he ends up shooting one at literally 10 feet. And, the full screaming in his face and it's hard to talk to a client ahead of time. How do you talk him out of that? Like, Hey, yeah. VB's right behind him. Don't shoot the three thirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Good luck. Yeah. That's a hell of a sales pitch. Like, <laughs> and I know me and I've shot lots of elk. I'd be like, yeah, sorry, John <laughs> VB's still alive, but this one's dead. Cause it's just hard to talk a guy out of that, especially their first hunt. Now, if it's a guy who's seasoned and he knows what he wants, that's totally different. He'll probably drive you crazy passing bulls up, but Newer guys, anything between 290 and 330, you better pray to God you take their ap- weapon from them because they're going to kill it and because they're, they're getting everything they wanted. Right. You know? And yeah. a 290 to 330 bull, pretty damn respectable. Um, you know, on, on private land, obviously it's a little bit different, but your guys' small bulls, three, th- three to 330 is, I'm assuming, a satellite. Yeah, yeah. most yeah. of the time. Yeah, yep. so, which is a big fucking bull well, i mean <laughs> yeah the most 90 percent of the people wouldn't pass on that you know it's it's that guy that's hunted all over the place and you know mm-hmm. he's he's been to new mexico and arizona and he's you know hunted you know lots of lots of you know high-end outfits and that kind of stuff that that's going to hold out and, and we welcome that you know yeah. i mean we will put you on those bulls um 
What what would you guys say is the largest bull you've killed, and what's the largest bull that's been on on the range? I'd say and that. And what's the largest one you've missed? That's probably the most important thing. <laughs> that that, that four hundred. Yeah. 400. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's anybody I I typically talk to. Everybody had pictures of that animal. There's you know. 15, 20 different guys that has still have it embedded in their phone. And, you know, I got it on mine. I just showed yeah, you the picture. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, he was famous, you know, it was a really cool animal, but I, as far as like comparison to him, yeah, we've, we've ran into some that could be that big, but they're, uh, they don't get that big because they're dumb. Yeah. You know, you get close once or twice, you don't even get enough time to pull out a camera and, yeah. and I had them once they're gone. Photos through a, you know, Swaro from, Right. a mile away above tree line before season started when they were yep. in their summer feeding patterns is when those that photo was probably a week and a half two weeks before season started and i pretty much knew the writing on the wall like he wasn't hanging out there and you know it the physical level to get to where i was most people don't have that in them um and, and i'm only saying that because you know you're not doing total hood rat shit calling them off a property but it's not going to be the hunt you probably watched on tv right uh and, and when i say that meaning you're not you're hoping to god you guys scare the shit out of them, they jump the fence and you get a shot i mean that's basically how it is and so the thing that's nice with you guys is you guys have the public and the private totally mapped out that's a huge bonus and you got guys looking because uh, again like one you gotta have the elk there right mm -hmm. if you don't have big bulls you can't kill them uh, and then two, you guys don't pressure it at the wrong time, which is huge. Uh, and then three, you hunt it smart at the peak time. So you're probably not, I mean, do you guys ever have slow days? When I say slow days, meaning no elk. No, no. Yeah, I was going to say. You're, you're going to see elk. Uh, I, I say, you know, getting skunked means you didn't see an elk that day. And I, I could realistically say that there's never been a day that no. we haven't at least been around a couple elk yeah i mean the, the one of our biggest things is you know educating our clients to you know let's not chase that one because there's bigger bulls to be had or you know there's there's you know a lot of times where we stay um when we're guiding is in a house that overlooks the ranch right and it's got a wraparound porch so you know all of us are lined up on glass and we're watching these elk you know, above tree line to down in the willows and everywhere in between, you're seeing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of elk a day. Um, and, you know, you got to walk people through that haven't ever had these experience and you got to say, okay, yeah, see, let's look at that bull. Okay. But, you know, that's a good respectable bull and I'm not going to tell you, you can't take him, you know, but, but let's look at this bull over here. Now that bull right there, that's the bull you want to put your tag on, you know, and, and, um, well, and these are legit numbers too, and and I only say that because I'm very familiar with that that strip. Um, you, these guys aren't bullshitting. Like, I, I, what's the most elk you've seen on that area at one time? Oh. <laughs> we've got we've got pictures actually in like the late seasons where they'll there's got to be seven eight hundred elk yeah. in yeah, one one little area. I they'll, mean, they'll all winter down there. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I've I've seen where they winter, where they go and and do their migration, and I've literally seen elk like leave a swath the size of like a four lane highway, yeah. you know, and punch down into the dirt, like through the snow where it looks like cattle had been walking back and forth on it for years. And which, then, which that doesn't, you know, those late season hunts are just as exciting. Just, just so you, you know, just putting it out there. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, I want that full rut experience. But you know, when they break off into those bachelor groups, you're not hunting one single bull, you know, you're looking for that, that mature herd of, of those older bulls that are all bachelored up together. 
and a guy gets on those and you, you, you don't have to go, that's my only option. You know, you're looking at eight, 10, 12 bulls that are all 330 to 370 and you get to take the bull you want, you know, whichever one is, is, you know, you like or unique factors or whatever it is, or even the one that gives you the shot opportunity, you know, that's actually my favorite time. You know, you get, instead of, I don't what? like being cold. It is not my favorite. It's, time. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold as shit on those late season hunts. The, the gear that's out there nowadays, you know, and if a guy just keeps moving, it, yeah. it's so nice. But I, I think my favorite thing about it is you get you get to get away from all the cows. So yeah. the amount of eyeballs to get near those big bulls is way less. But at the same time, those bulls are more at the heat of their senses. You yeah. know, they. They really know what's going on, and getting about 200 yards from them is actually a feat on its own, especially when you're you're at 12,000 feet and these animals are grazing and nothing, and there's two feet of snow and all the trees that you just walked up to get there, and you're yeah. on seven miles and you're tired and the sun's going down, and I don't know. There's something about it that's just a little bit more exciting to me than the rut, and maybe I've just been spoiled with the rut my whole life. But No, I mean, and it's good for people to hear this because everybody wants a different... You know, and not everybody's a, a bow hunter either. Um, right. You know, the thing that's nice with today's technology is 200's pretty damn close. You know, uh, 20 years ago's 200's today's four. Right. You know, as far as, of course, if you just can't shoot for shit, that's a different story. But, I mean, you get a guy within 400 yards, he's probably going to kill it. Yeah. I mean, generally. Right. Where archery-wise, obviously, there's a little more can happen or things can go wrong, but you you guys do a uh, couple hunters muzzleloader, a couple hunters archery, a couple hunters rifle. Yes, yeah. so we're trying to offer that experience where you get a one-on-one, -on -one. and mm -hmm. it's just Scott and I running the outfit, mm -hmm. uh, minus our spotters and whatnot, but, you know, we're we're trying to provide that experience that when you show up, you get full attention, you know. Scott or I or the two of us hunting together, you know, we're we're putting everything on the line every single day to – put your hunter on those elk and and the and the biggest thing about that Aaron is we could run 10 hunters yeah but that place wouldn't be what it is if we ran 10 hunters yeah you know it just wouldn't hold the elk you know and, and then you start taking out all these big mature bulls and stuff I think uh, this year in the rut we counted what nine or ten bulls that were on the ranch that were 330 340 350 Absolutely. plus they were all on the ranch like literally right there you know what I mean and that's that's on the ranch. That's not looking on any of the public ground. Yeah. And that caliber of is, elk is there. And you know that. And, um, you know, it's no secret when you start hunting it that, you know, the genetics in that area are phenomenal. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to, to, you know, have, you know, a solid group of big mature bulls on the ranch with their own little harems. I mean, if, if you jump on our website, Scott's got a video on there. Which our website's getting redone, so don't judge us on, on uh, you know where it's at right now, please. But uh, um, hey, I, know, I thought I did a good job on that. You did a damn good job. But <laughs> when did you do that? I don't know. 2010. Yeah, <laughs> it needs, a long it needs time. A, it needs ago. a little update in here. <laughs> um, but you know that being said, if you do jump onto sheeprockoutfitters.com, you can see um, he he has a bullfight that goes down like kind of right in the heart of of, of the property. And just to, to see that is just a little snidbit. You know, you're talking about like a two-minute video of, of that happening. We see that all the time, everywhere, you know. And we're, we're, tur you know, we're turning up elk like that, you know, big bulls that are, are fighting over harems and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a common occurrence there for us. So. so if a guy, and I'm trying to 
cock block any questions that'll come through and answer them now. Um, if a guy booked for a hunt for the, the rut hunt for archery, if he paid you guys extra, would you let him sit in a tree stand, uh, be a good boy, not run and screw around everything if he paid extras to start a little early and then jump into the rut hunt later? Or is it something where it's kind of like, this is your days and that's when you're hunting? Uh, I mean, are you guys open if a guy had questions like that to, to work something out or, or no? Yeah, of course. No, I mean, we would, we would entertain that um, for sure. The thing is, is, you know, in just full transparency, like some of that early season stuff, and you might sit in the fucking tree stand for eight hours and not see, you know, not see a big shooter bull. You're going to see elk. Don't get me wrong. You're going to see elk. Now, having that big mature bull walk under you, it could happen. You know, we got some great water holes, some wallows. Um, that- I, I guess my suggestion would be for people listening in is if you're a looking a trophy hunter, that option may not be bad because you have the wherewithal to keep it in your pants and, and pass up elk. If you are wanting the full, complete rut hunt, you're probably going to fuck up, shoot a smaller bull early out of the tree stand and not get the rut. Um, but if you're, again, this is me just looking at elk as I know elk. Mm-hmm. If you've going on your first time hunt and you're like, I do want to start early, I'm going to pay extra. You're probably going to end up shooting a lesser elk because you can't hold back because you haven't seen very many. And one's going to walk under the stand that's 290. You're going to lose your shit. And you're going to shoot it. And you're not going to get any of the great calling sequences you guys were talking about. So seems like to me if you were truly looking for a giant you might want to pay that extra to potentially if you have the wherewithal to, to keep it in your pants because i've just had really bad luck with telling guys if you're going to sit here the chance of seeing a big one isn't great but it's there mm-hmm. and then they call me and they've shot a 280 and i'm like girl you got one <laughs> it's an elk you know what do you say right well elite, good you know but I, it's like hey you paid a shitload of money to shoot a giant elk you, you probably want to put your best foot forward and not shoot a 280 bull i would imagine you guys have a lot of clients see a 280 to 300 and oh, they lose their shit. Oh yeah. You got to hold them back. You, know? yeah. you got to tell them, Hey, hold on, hold on. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about this for a second here. I know yeah. we only got a minute, but if you're, if you're really <laughs> wanting a, I mean, I'm not going to tell you, you can't take him Cause obviously this is your hunt. And if he get, you know, does it for you by all means take him, you know, but if, if you just are patient, you know what I mean? And, and we find that that pays off, you know, I mean, my first muzzle at our hunt was Scott. I had that shot on Mr. Majestic. We hunted hard for that, the rest of that season, and I ended up, my dumbass, I'm hunting a muzzleloader. Literally, just bought the muzzleloader two months before, and literally don't know what the fuck I'm doing with yeah. this thing. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I've never loaded one. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I hadn't either, and, and it showed, obviously. Um, but I, Scott put me on a, uh, that bull scored 360. Yeah, it was like a 363 or something, I think, yeah. on the green score, yeah. We we named him the king. He uh yet the bull you ended up getting. Um no, I, I ended up should have got Yeah. <laughs> I, my dumbass doesn't know how to load a muzzle loader, obviously, but uh <laughs> Scott called him in at forty yards and I tell him all the time, like I should have had a fucking bow in my hand because he would have just been yeah, you know, yeah. dead to rights <laughs> that was, right there. That and, was that was one of those deals where we couldn't we couldn't call that bull off. Nope. We had to we had to call his cows. Yeah. And so we well like we set up a perfect scenario to try and influence the elk to come like, oh, we're more elk over here. And the cows, like, I had a calf almost run me over and then almost run him over. And the, like, the whole time, like, ah, oh, the calf screwed the hunt up. Maybe we should just back out. Yeah. But being persistent enough, we got the whole herd to just kind of migrate right in. And, you know, I mean, what are the chances that the bull would walk out like 40 feet in front of John? That was insane. And I, I blasted him with the muzzle loader, you know, just rolled oh, down the hill. He like, barrel rolls. Rolled twice. down the hill. There's blood right there where we hit him. And. Yeah. 
You hit uh, him in the spine, you think? Or? No, I hit him. I hit him right in the kill box. I, yeah. I literally hit him right in the kill box. We, we got pictures of him with the mass right there. It's just that there wasn't enough pack in, like, didn't break the ribs. Didn't didn't yeah. go through. So did you not? I don't know shit about. Did you not load enough powder? I, in no, there? I what? <laughs> Honestly, I'm still racking my fucking brain over what the fuck my <laughs> retarded ass did. But I what I think happened was. I didn't know, but I, I don't think I seeded the bullet, and there was an air gap Big between gap. the powder and the... And so when it went off, it had enough velocity to roll his ass. I mean, he did two barrel rolls down the side of the hill, and he stood up, and I'll never forget seeing him walking into the pines, and he was just, you know, swaying side to side, and I was just like, yeah, like, he's down, you know, I'm, I'm going to get this sucker. And it was right at dark, you know. I mean, last last 45 minutes of shooting light. And uh, we grid-searched that 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 valley for i spent like two weeks on it after okay. he had to go home i went back out there i was just like he's got to be down after you know like what john told me and everything but it was we were gearing up for first rifle and one of our spotters um you know just being persistent and knowing the areas and where these animals travel he had he turned him up and gave me a call and i went racing over there and sure as shit it was that bull had the mass Dude. and everything of like you know it was like swelled up like it was a like a 10 pound abscess on his side where I yeah didn't do, like just a big and dude, he was out there breeding cows, bugling, chasing, like acting like nothing. Oh, you, ever you fucking could tell happened. it hurt. Like he was laying down, bugling, like you know, put his nose back and like smell it, and be like, oh, that stinks. Like that's getting bad. And then what? Uh, opening morning, we uh, uh, it was a it was a horrible opening morning. Like so many hunters, and, yeah, people just walking like. Like, we're set up on these elk. We know they're coming up to us. And people, like, walk up, like, 15 feet from us, look at us, wave, and then walk past us. I actually, oh, I had that bull coming to us. And I, I happened to be just, happened to be right where he was coming. And there was probably, I don't know, 75 to 100 head in this herd. And there were some other bulls in there or whatever. It was the Orange Army had him surrounded. And this is, this, this is on public ground in the area. Um, he's coming up. And I see this kid. I'm set. They're, they're coming up to us. This 18-year-old little punk comes walking down, um, and I step out of the trees. We're set up, ready to take him. I, I'm waving at the guy, and I'm like, come on, man. We're, we're here. Like, give us a little space. And he looks at me. He shrugs his shoulders. A little spike jumps the fence, and he just, wham, shoots the spike right out from underneath us. <laughs> so we got, we got spotters watching the whole thing happen. You know, and we're like, all right, we just we take all the, everybody. We back out. And, um, but one of our guys just watched the herd go up and over like two mountains. And then we, we ended up putting a good plan together and got a, got a client in about 400 yards from, him, like you said, you know, technology nowadays and got him down and you know, getting him in first row. I've talked about bittersweet, yeah. man. I was fucking, yeah. how it was, bad was that abscess? Did it, you split it up? Just plus. Yeah, we opened it up and it was actually, it was crazy. It was like a fraction of the size that it was like uh, two days before when we got the pictures of it. So he must have like something happened opened where it, it opened up. up. And yeah. so like it had gone down immensely, but you could see where like pockets of pus would have been in there. Yeah. And you know, is he might have healed from it. You never know, but. He didn't heal from the second round that yeah, we, no, that we got round. on him. We shot a moose in, in BC that had a, a horn in it. Oh, shit. And uh, I, I got a strong stomach. Um, and I, my bright ass was like, you know what? I'm just going to cut about six inches around this pus pocket and just get it out of there. That pus pocket drained for 30 minutes. And I, <laughs> oh, and I, I never did puke, <laughs> but I got real close because, you know, now we're trying to clean it and it's oozing like the, yeah. you know, whatever, Old Faithful. And I'm like, Ugh. Those fuckers are tough, right? I mean, oh, yeah. they just, they can, I don't think people realize, I've killed a couple bulls where 
pull the muzzy out of the spine, you know, yeah, pull mm-hmm. the 50 cal, you oh. know, muzzle it around of its ass. I mean, I, my wife, my wife is, um, newcomer relatively to, uh, she's bloodthirsty now, but like when I started, she was vegan. Well, I'm trying to explain to her, she, her, her first shot out of her bow at an elk was a 360 bull, not oh. far from where you guys are. And it was one of those, we're going to go, we're going to park, we're going to walk, we're fucking things standing on the side of the road where get the fuck out amy so we're trying to get her out to the you know to to get off the road and get into the wood line because he's probably 100 yards off the road standing they're not he could give two shits about the truck they get like that sometimes in the rut and so we're like amy get the fuck out get out and so i'm trying to dive out with her and uh, of course i'm probably purging myself if this is illegal but i think it's legal you know we run to the side of the road get in the wood line and i'm like 40 smoke it and it's this is a funny thing with legal shooting light. We're nine minutes into legal shooting light, and it ain't very fucking bright. Yeah. Right? And so I'm, I have more experience behind shooting uh, in lower light situations, and it, I'm looking at the watch like, I mean, I think she should be anyway. She she skipped right off the bottom of it, and it's as big as bull as anything I've ever killed. Her first arrow out of the the, the bow. <laughs> That's right? incredible. And. She, you know, she's like, is this normal? I'm like, no, this isn't normal. And I was like, he was so focused. It was a hot cow. You could hear her uh, estrus calling or, yeah. or that buzz call, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he's sometimes ass is more important than safety. And yeah. I'm like, he just didn't give a shit the truck drum by. And there'd probably been tourists and that. You know what I mean? And so that could happen 20 more years we could hunt. That wouldn't happen. And so she's like, is he okay? And I'm like, yeah, he's okay. And <laughs> she skipped it off as he probably had a little cut on his stomach. And I'm like, Honey, you need to watch these things fight. Like, yeah. we've shot bulls with tines sticking out of it. Oh, yeah. It's still going after it and breeding cows. They, they're a lot more resilient probably than people. She didn't know. And I'm like, honey, he didn't even know something. I mean, hell, he bugled seven more times after she skipped it off his stomach. Right. It's just at that point when we dropped down to it, wind-wise, mm-hmm. you got to make a judgment call. And I made one pull out. Like, we blow this thing out. It ain't coming back. And, and the wind was not great. And he had 34 cows. Yeah. And she's like, you think we can get on him? And I'm like, it's not, not worth it. It's not, you know, we're going to blow him out and he ain't going to come back. So we had pulled out. Um, he came back in there. She never ended up getting another shot. But in that kind of circle of rut, when that happens, you hope that, that they're that dumb. Because sometimes those big ones, it's more on their stupidity than it is your skill. It's, right. It, they didn't get that big from being stupid, so you're praying to God the rut makes them a little stupider than normal. Um, otherwise, some of those bulls, I'm not going to say aren't killable, but you ain't going to call them in. And yeah. I don't think people realize that either. You guys want to touch on kind of the calling thing? Because I think people watch Primos too much. Yeah. And I like Will. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ain't fucking calling herd bulls in. You're, you're just not. Um, in Especially my when it gets later. You yeah, know, later like, when they're yeah, cowed up. It get once, once, I don't know. I, I, relate, I relate elk a lot to cattle. And uh, when you see... I mean, you see, like, a, 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 when we're out there watching our cows breed or something, you know, keeping an eye on them, I don't think, like, I don't watch cows like I'm a pervert or something like that. Don't get me wrong. So, anyway, yeah, like. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't lie. So, some <laughs> dumb kid. <laughs> He's out there. <laughs> so, Is anybody so, watching? Right. right. <laughs> so, they, uh, you know, like, you see, like, a bull that gets focused on the cows out there, and, you know, there's nothing that could stop them. You you go out there and you're trying to move your cows and in the middle of when they're in heat and you, that bull will run you over. Yeah. There's not a fence in the world that could stop them. And yeah. it's kind of like the same deal. Like it, if you go out there and you're trying to call a bull in with a bugle and 
it's the heat of the rut. All that bull is going to do is like, that's either a little bull and he ain't going to come near me yeah. or that's a big bull. And I'm going to move these cows, you know, 200 yards away. Yeah. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to bugle the whole time because he's going to respond to me and we're just going to play this cat and mouse. Game. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to stay at a safe distance. Yeah. Right? And that's what a lot of people, which this sounds horrible, but it's true. You know, I was in them, you know, we had them. I'm like, oh yeah, it seemed to stay like 200 yards from me the whole time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how they work because it's a rapport they have of I'm here, I'm here, yeah. right? And, and it's a safety rapport almost. So it's like a, a lot of times when you have those the bigger bulls, you just have to get creative um, yeah. is what it will. And as I say that, I've only shot out of a lot of elk three good ones. Um, one, I took a far shot calling because um, they'll come to 80, you know, and I right. shot them at 80. Um, when I say that, meaning you get into that big – rutted up heard a lot you know he he came and, and just went to full bugle and I, and I shot him but it was at 80 yards which is pretty far the other ones that's he just happened to come and I shot him like there was no plan I had a, I mean it could have been a rack where I probably would have shot yeah. it because it was public yeah. land mm -hmm. I, and a giant bull came in it just doesn't happen like that normally right. and when it does it's usually in, in my experience the seventh through the twelfth time frame before they're cowed up you might call them in right um, it may be a little bit different where you guys are at, but even still, they didn't get that smart from being dumb. It's going to have to be a very a good calling sequence. A lot of guys get on that estrus call, blow on it like it's money. That's not a good calling sequence. There's no. got to be a communication. Just like I brought this up a lot of times, you walk into a bar. You might walk home with a lady that's super smoking hot and great in bed, but you're not going to do it by walking up and saying, hey, fuck me. She's going to be like, this guy's fucking crazy. And that calling isn't a lot of difference. It's the truth. You, you got to have a rapport with them yeah. or they're going to be like crazy ex-girlfriend or whatever. And I don't think people probably understand that. I always relate it to picking up chicks at a bar. Right. You, you have a chick that walks up and starts screaming, will you stick it in my butt? That's probably like, mm, seems a little freaky, right? I don't know if this is a good idea, boys. Like, and that estrus call can be that call sometimes. It can be a savior, but if you use it too much, it can be a cock blocker. I mean, they're not going to come in. And, I, and you guys, I, I don't know as far as I would assume, you guys are more of a mild calling, sound like a herd, get a rapport going, not a let me blow on this estrus call 75 times and hopes this bull. Right. Yeah, I say, you know, silence is almost as good as calling. You know what I mean? Just letting them know you're there yeah. sometimes can pique their curiosity. And they just, you know, they're like, oh, I got one more straggler cow that's back there grazing. I'm going to come take a closer look, you know, and that might just be all it takes, you know. But at like you said, you know, hitting that estrus call just constantly. I mean, they just, they know. They pinpoint you. They're like, I ain't going around there. I'm going to take my cows and slide off this way. Yeah. I, I, I hate to relate this to turkey because I get made fun of so much, but. Smart turkeys are no different. Um, right. Silence is important. You get one goblin back and he's firing away. You almost want to go silent in, in hopes he comes searches you out rather than pinpoint, pinpoint, pinpoint. And then he knows where you're at and he may not come in. Elk, a lot of times on those bigger ones, raking a tree a little. Yeah. Just get mm -hmm. him to keep looking because, again, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't get six, seven, eight years old by being, by being dumb. You just hope they get a little dumber during the rut. Right. And, yeah. and you guys this year – you had unbelievable success this year. Did, did you guys 100% or you had 100% on uh, opportunities? We, yeah, hundred actually. Yeah. So we're talking about, you know, how tough these animals are. Our second archery guy, um, you know, j j you know, talking about herd bulls and, and opportunities and stuff, we actually played out a perfect hunt, perfect win, and uh, we put Ben on a, a, a really nice herd bull, and 
he took a 30-yard shot, uh, once again, GoPro and the whole thing, uh, which was great for, for looking back to where the arrow hit. But uh, when he let that arrow fly, that bull actually looked over in his direction and was ripping off a bugle right as he let that arrow fly. And, you know, Whitetail jumped the string a lot. This bull jumped his string. His back probably dropped, I don't know, 8, 10 inches. And his arrow drills him right in the scapula. And, I mean, it sounded like a baseball bat breaking, you know, whack. And uh, that bull takes off running. He ends up getting a, a second shot at him and hitting him in the flank. Um, and that bull just acted like nothing had happened, man. He walked off, cuts into the willows, disappears, didn't find him for two days, a day and a half or so. And we, we dubbed him two-stripe because he had, you know, two blood stripes coming down his side. Yeah. And uh, shows back up a day and a half later with his cows, found the arrow. He broke the broadhead off in his shoulder um, and came back. And we, we chased him for five days after that. It was like he was getting healthier. Like, oh, yeah. I, I think the second shot, what typically could have been a kill shot that we were thinking in the beginning. Yeah. It, you could see, like, in the video where he, he turned on that arrow, too. I mean, it was, it was a good poke, but, you know, you already got one in him. Yeah. My theory, just keep laying it. Yeah. Laying it down till he's down. So he turned on that and that arrow like ended up being like a splinter. Like yeah. it didn't have any penetration. It was just a flesh wound. And, you know, that bull just seemed to get healthier and healthier as it went on. And then on the final day, like like you talk about like blowing the elk up on the property or like getting him out of there. We uh we we try to hunt it to where we don't chase him off the property, but at the same time, like owning cattle running cattle on it. It's not a bad thing if we get them off there. I need the grass for the cows too. Yeah. So <laughs> we we, we kind of like we we're out of options. Yeah. And so we lined up on like a bird dog style hunt. Yeah. And it took three of us to chase them out of there. But that bull took these cows almost 14 miles away. Oh, no. And kidding. was that, that night I sat there and I watched them just like romanticizing cows all night long. He never laid down. His cows were more tired than he was. No kidding. And he hadn't slept in 24 hours. He'd been up just, yeah. just chasing. And, and we actually continued to pursue him all the way until the sunset on that last day. I mean, yeah. it was just like we, we were doing everything. Because we do have a rule of sheep rock. If you draw blood, you're done unless, unless you hunt, anywhere. hunt yeah. that same animal. You know, And in this case, he was very fortunate that that bull turned back up and we were able to stay on him. And we had some crazy close encounters. That 80 yards, he was a little timid to shoot that far at that point just because, you know, he, he, what he thought was a perfect shot, you know, turned up that it wasn't a fatal shot to him or whatever. But, um, you know, it's just, it, it's just a true testament to how tough they are. And, you know, shot pla placement is, is a huge factor, you know. Usually, like, I prefer if I can to shoot them while they're bugling because they yeah. can't hear. Now, it doesn't really matter now with the stick because it's quiet anyway. But with a compound, um, it, it for me, preferred to – one of the things that's nice is they're really stretched out. Uh, you know, when they're going to full bugle, especially when they're really ripping one off, the biggest thing is they can't hear the bow go off a yep. lot um, is, is a benefit. But you could have that happen once out of 100 times. But usually if you can shoot them at full bugle, it's better. But a lot of times shot placement with um, with elk arrow setups, you know, we go over this a lot in the right. podcast. You can get through a scapula with a fixed blade broadhead and a good momentum arrow. Mm -hmm. Mechanical, you're getting towards the no area and a lighter arrow. It, it's just not going through. And if you hit that T, I don't give a fuck what you shoot it with. It yeah. ain't going through. Right. Um, yep. And we we just did a bunch of broadhead testing on buffaloes and those out data real big. And it's it's shit that I have done my whole life. You know, I it, 
shot placement is key, right? You hit them right, they're going to die. And right. so you get a lot of guys that get these crazy heavy arrows for like the prepping to shoot them in the leg. And it's like, there's a lot of body percentage wise other than leg. Yeah. So maybe like a happy medium, pretty mm-hmm. heavy arrow, but not super light, you know, because the chances of going through the knuckle or the T of the scapula is, is zero. You're, right. you're not going through that. So like for suggestions, I don't know what you guys, I always tell guys just get a good amount of speed, mm-hmm. a decent arrow weight and a weight you can shoot comfortably um, in helps in, in hopes that at the moment of truth, they have a less chance of shitting their pants is what it boils down to. Um, yeah, I know you've shot a bow forever. Um, you know, I don't know with, with, with you, but like when guys set up for elk hunts, the, you when they're newer, they generally get online, which is good and bad, right? You got 4 million different, you know, God forbid you listen to the guys that have killed all the elk. They're listening to guys that kills pigs and shit, right? So with elk, a 475 grain arrow and a fixed blade broadhead is going to do the job. No problem. Right. With the setups, you guys, do you guys like suggest anything for guys to come in, fixed pin sights, movers, or, or just check them when they get there to make sure they can actually hit a stop sign? You know, I, I talk with all our clients kind of leading up to it. And I, I always suggest, you know, to kind of, you know, shoot, shoot a, a great, you know, I set them up with a, a good medium as to where they should be with arrow weight and that kind of stuff. Obviously, I always push the fixed broadheads. I really try to tell them, you know, it, it, I don't care what it takes. You got, you know, a year or six months, like go get that bow tuned and yeah. make sure that you're, you're hitting, you know, dead on uh, with a fixed head. And so we try to bring everybody in with a fixed broadhead. Um, and, you know, just, uh, we, I go over a lot of arrow weight and, and that kind of stuff with them and just kind of get them going in the right direction. Cause we get a lot of guys from back East and they're white tail hunters, yeah. you know, and they're trying to shoot super fast, light arrows, just punching through these yeah. smaller animals or whatever. And so it sometimes it's complete shock to them to be like, what <laughs> you yeah. want me to shoot out of you have an arrow yeah. and, and, and a fixed broadhead. Why do you need that? You know? And you kind of walk that road with them and, and, and explain to them. And, you know, uh, Ben was an incredibly nice guy, but that was, uh, uh, uh you know, a, a perfect poster child to, you know, that fixed head, had he had been a mechanical, that thing would have been, you know, just bounced off of him. You know, I mean, it wasn't even going to get any penetration. He got, you know, we, we said about two and a half to three inches. It didn't break through the ribs, you know, on that bowl. But, um, yeah, you know, we try to push people to, to you know, have an elk set up, really. You know what I mean? Well, and the thing that um trying to convey here before we, you know, cut this thing off is um, the blood draw thing. Right, you draw blood, you're you're done, and that's everyone. That's not you guys. Any yeah. any, you know, your guys' livelihood. Ethical is hunting, food. right? Yeah, I mean, yep. Well, and the thing is, I mean, even if you hit one um, that's not a not lethal shot, most places you're you're done. I mean, that's right. just how it works. Or you got to stay on that animal. Yeah. Um, but what you don't, or what I hate for guys to see, is you save up the money. You know, you've got depending upon a drop camp in the wilderness is six grand. Um, uh, private land is working on 8,500 to 20, 30 grain, right? It's anywhere in between. Mm-hmm. You really want to shoot a 400 grain arrow in a rage and catch it in the scapula where you go through with a fixed blade. Right. And that's what I try to explain to guys. The chance of you hitting the leg and make it through or the, or the T, you're, you're not going to make it there. Scapula, you'll make it through that with a fixed blade and a good, uh, you don't want to shoot that fucker there, but right. there's a chance mm-hmm. to make it through. With a mechanical, got 130 to 150 pounds of pressure to make that open and we've tested all of this well that opening happens during the meaty portion of the scapula so when you're hitting the meat it opens momentum is gone and when it hits the scapula it ain't fucking going no farther where you're not losing that momentum with a fixed blade so 
generally, I don't want to beat this horse to death anymore. We've probably done 30 podcasts on this. Set yourself up for success, not for failure. So, and, and I know John knows what he's doing. So you guys call about this. Listen to what John says. I'm not saying you don't know. I just known him forever. Um, <laughs> you know, don't, don't set yourself up to shoot a 330 foot per second bow with a mechanical. That is not an elk setup. I'm not saying it won't kill it, but make your set, make sure you set yourself up for success. Yeah. Uh, otherwise you're going to go home crying about what could have been. So of course, and um, you know, I wanted to just touch real quick, you know, Scott, um, owns a logging business and the ranch, uh, has allowed Scott to create habitat for these animals. And, um, well, he, your neighbor bitches. Cause you guys got all the elk. I was laughing. <laughs> right. Scotty, my buddy was like, the motherfuckers across the street got all the elk. Cause you guys had them all on your, your place. So. And that seems to be a growing trend over the years. And especially as Scott is, his uh, done his habitat restoration in those areas. And he does this for, for private clientele as well outside of, of the ranch. Um, and you know, Scott can talk more about that, but he's, uh, what he's done there on the ranch, it, shows monumentally with the way as you have experienced Aaron those elk they could we could bump them and they run to the fence line and they hang a hard right or left and they're going right back because they know there's another safe pocket for them to be in right there um and you know Scott you should talk about that just for for a minute here about you know stuff that you do and and services you offer through your logging business um Let let me kind of break it down real quick before you dive in so people understand this what you're doing is what they do for whitetail. You are yeah. doing, when you see the people um, for whitetail planting soybean, I'm not a fucking whitetail hunter. I like shooting them, but planting the different soybeans or whatever is going to be best for horn growth and, and, and their livelihood or, or just where they want, you're making a good home for them. It's different because a lot of people don't look at elk that way, but that's what you're doing is what people do on white prop, whitetail properties. You're doing it for, for elk. Um, so kind of, yeah, kind of like John said, explain that. And I wanted to bring up the whitetail thing because, mostly whitetail hunters coming out to, to get their first elk. Right, right. You're basically doing the same thing. You're just doing it for elk habitat. Yeah. And Scott, you should talk about the current project you're working on and what you're seeing there as well. So we, uh, like, I guess i like to really begin it out is that I know uh, a few things. I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trade, master-of-none type guy. But the few things that I do know is agriculture being beef cattle. Uh, then the other one is outfitting elk. I've been in elk my entire life. And then logging, that's another big part of it. And then the fourth thing, Marine Corps, but, you know, that's just kind of something that I kind of fell into. But out of those things, they all kind of go hand in hand. So I started a, uh, a logging company after I started the outfitting company because one thing that we really noticed was that a lot of the animals in Colorado are kind of suffering on their habitat. The reason being is fire suppression. Well, it, it could go into a huge dialogue on what's happened in our state and why it's all happening. But the long, the long scheme of it is, is that no matter what, every animal out there has to have a replenishment of habitat. And one reason why our state gives out these landowner vouchers is to influence more pressure on the elk herds to get them off the private ground. And that being said is because one, they damage a lot of the property like fences, fences yep. and, you know, other things involved as well, sometimes creek beds and everything, but most of the time it's the fences. But the other number two reason is, like I was saying earlier, is they eat a lot of freaking grass and our cows need the grass as well. So, you know, one thing that was done in the 70s was they made a bunch of clear cuts uh, on national forest ground to try and influence elk to graze up on federal ground and get them off of the private ground. Well, it, it worked for a little bit, but the trees grow back. It's yeah. like anything. It, 
how many times do you mow your lawn in a year? So we started looking at it like, you know, if we want more elk on our property and we also want to influence maybe some more grass for our elk and cows to share, we got to open up more ground. And then starting to do the research, you know, elk, they really love aspen. Elk, moose, deer, that's like their, their number one forage in the wintertime. So in order to get aspen, you got to have sunlight. And with all the conifers that are growing up, we got we to gotta open up. Yeah. And so we ended up taking out a few trees here and there, and we noticed a big difference. Yeah. So then we just kind of expanded on that, and we've gone bigger and bigger. So, I mean, long story short, we're on a 2,000-acre property right now, and the, the landowners have had this chunk of property in multiple generations since, like, 1800s. And they said that uh, when they were children, some of the oldest landowners that lived there, they used to see a ton of elk. Like a lot of elk could come through there. And they have pictures of the timber that was there. And it was like, you could literally drive a semi through the trees. It was so wide open. Yeah. And so we get in there and we start, we start our thing. We start doing this is how it all kind of led to it. That and fire suppression, you know, the whole deal, it all goes hand in hand. But it didn't, I thought it would probably be, you know, a year or two before they'd start notice a difference and start getting more animals in there. But it has happened almost overnight. Like within one month, they're saying that they're seeing 10 times the amount of elk that they've seen on that property. I'll break this down a little bit so people understand that hunt burns. When you, when you get a burn, three years after that burn, it's, it's dynamite. Yeah. That's when the lettuce grows back, right? We always right. make yep. a joke. They love Groceries. the lettuce, right? Mm-hmm. They're coming in. Yep. You are not getting the negative sides of the burn. You're doing the same concept. You're opening up for sun to hit the ground, basically. But you're not burning the living shit out of the ground at the same time yeah. to where it takes three years to grow back, which is why it's happening so quickly. Um, the, the fire burns everything. The lettuce grows back. Animals come in. Every animal comes in. You're doing that without having the negative sides right. of the burn, and that's why it happens so much fast. Right. Um, it, exactly. And, and I didn't that, think it happened that fucking fast, but that's pretty damn it, cool. It's well, crazy to yeah. see. It's <laughs> really, truly crazy to I see. I think a lot of the reason why is because, you know, as mankind, and, and we got to look at it on a bigger picture, it's hard for us to think like, I, I, I kind of like to say, like, think like a tree. How long has that tree been there? Mm-hmm. You look at some of these trees, I mean, bristlecone, they're like five, 6,000 years old. Yeah. That's before the Egyptians, yeah. you know, and so some of our, our conifers. Yeah, that's fucking tough. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, are tough. And, and so you look at like some of our conifers out there in Colorado, 150, 250 years old, they've seen a lot of change in their life. But one of the biggest things they've seen is mankind, white man especially, comes in and starts suppressing fire. We move into the natural habitat, the natural ecosystem that in certain areas is meant to burn every five to 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I know where you're at, especially where your home is. That's a five to 15 year cycle of burns. When's the last time that burned? A hundred plus. So how overdue is it? So then when these fires cook off, I mean, you're talking, you're talking mega fires, things that burn a hundred thousand acres in overnight, which that's not normal. That's where you start getting too much soil disturbance. Yeah. And that's why things take so long to come back. And essentially the groceries for the animals, they're not there for a while. Yeah. Whereas when we do it on our scale, our impact with the mechanized equipment, it comes back right away. And, and the fire suppression, this is kind of near and dear to me being from Oregon, right? Okay. Um, you know, that a lot of, I don't want to get into this debate either, but right, you, a lot of anti-logging, anti-hunting, you know, all these different things, they, they, they're so narrow-minded, they don't look at the big picture. When a big fire comes in and burns, and those different logging roads that gave access to to put the fires out are not accessible anymore, 
you have those hellacious fires that burn yep. everything. Where when there was more logging and there was more controlled burns and there was things like that, it, it was controllable. And, yeah. and, and it was something that didn't just... Um, I, I don't know how to look at it, but you look like farmers, right? They're they're burning off, you know, different sections of the property at a controlled rate, and that's you know that's how they make their living. Absolutely. With what you're doing, you're doing the same thing. When those fires come through, let's take the Heyman burn, right? Yeah. That fucker burnt everything. Now the hunting was good eventually, but right. what would have happened if we would have actually done that in a more controlled way? Right. Now some crazy bitch started that fire, and I can't remember the exact story. I think she told three versions of it. Right. One was it was a love letter because her boyfriend broke it up. And then I think what the final version was she was trying to look like a hero, start a fire and put it out right. and burnt an entire unit to the ground. That's yeah. crazy. The thing is, is the, that, that hunting in that area became good. Right. It would have been a lot better to do that in more control. Right. Way. And it's hard to wrap people around uh, the, the idea like uh, killing an animal is, is good. Well, you get a, um, man, I don't want to dive down this too far, but- um, animal, you know, you can't stop time. You get a dominant animal that cannot breed anymore. He's a liability to the herd because he's beating the shit out of all the younger animals that want to breed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, his seed cannot be planted anymore. He's dry. Well, and, exactly. And he's, he's starting to breed his, his daughters and his granddaughters. Yeah. That's like when I look at it on the cattle aspect, you know, at a certain point it becomes more than line breeding and it's inbreeding. Yep. And then you start getting those bad genetics and then you start getting the qualities of like what you see in OTC units yeah. where antlers, deformalities, certain animals, they can't, they can't even survive anymore because the natural predatory stock out there doesn't exist, you know, like the wolves and everything. But yeah. we don't need that if we're going to control it, but we have to be able to control it. Yeah. And it's a big thing. And I mean, this could be another, which we probably should do, uh, especially since you actually know what you're doing. I'm repeating shit that I read about. And the thing is though, is um, with the animals, it's good to, I mean, there's certain animals that, that need to die for the greater good of, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the herd basically, mm-hmm. um, there's certain things that need to burn down or need to be taken away to allow more groceries for the animals. It's hard for people. I don't want to get into this too much cause I want to crack a fucker in the head, but it's like, <laughs> Hey, shut the fuck up and listen. Right. It'll make sense. If you let again, uh, Bart Lancaster calls it citizen science. Why are people voting that have never stepped in the woods about our future? Yeah. Yeah. They're they're voting off emotion, not off of science. And the Colorado elk herd's doing great. Yeah. Um, You know, for example, yeah, let's release some wolves in there. That makes total fucking sense when you could just allow more tags or or whatever. Those are things that don't make any sense. So what you're doing is is amazing because uh, better hunting, better for the animals, better all the way around. It's not like you guys are shooting them all. I mean, you know, you're taking a limited amount, so it's better for all animals and Grand scheme of things, better for predators. More animals, better yeah. for the for the predators. Healthier for the property. I mean, yeah. just seeing what he's doing there um, on that place that he's on right now, it's it's incredible to see just the influx of animals. And you know, I do real estate back in Minnesota when I'm not guiding uh, with Base Camp Country Real Estate, um, and I deal with with farmers all the time that are that are you know clear cutting areas to whether they're putting food plots or you know cutting roads or. Yeah, they hire specialists to come in and tell them what to do, guys like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it's very common, you know, yeah. back in the Midwest. You know, I've, I've actually got a guy called me yesterday, and he wants to, you know, clear-cut 15 acres and do food plots and doing all this stuff, you know. And, um, you know, it's a, a practice that they do back in in, in the Midwest frequently. You yeah. know, I mean, it's it's like, you know, if you own an excavating company, you're busy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you're cutting roads, you're, you're clearing areas and that kind of stuff, but it also – has a, a, a dual effect 
um, on, on the wildlife too. You know, not only is it good for the habitat, the, you know, just the dirt in general, but also you're seeing these huge influx of, you know, deer coming in and, uh, you know, making that place home, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and living there and the habitat is ideal for them. Um, and, and so you see, you know, these guys that might've had mediocre bucks that were passing through their property, you know, once a year in the rut, you know, and, and now they're, they're living there. It's your home. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, I, I, uh, I really enjoy getting to see that from a different perspective in a different state, um, you know, quite frequently. And yeah. Well, I can tell you've made a good home because um, I know all the people that you guys know and they all bitch that you guys have all the elk. So I, I think it's hilarious because I don't, I don't like most of those guys anyway. So it's great for me. Um, when I say that, I don't like them. I, I don't know them like I do you guys or John specifically, but I, I, I did get a kick out of Scotty in there. He's like, God damn it we can see them and they were all over on your yeah. property and i'm not saying that because you got on the podcast i was laughing my ass off i'm like yeah that's my buddies so, anyway well tell scott to give us a call and we'd be glad to show him around no, right for, for sure so before we hop off jesus christ i didn't realize we've been on here an hour and 40 minutes before we hop off list the uh you know the instagram page the website the website's getting rebuilt but the website uh and and then again um two hunters for rifle muzzleloader and uh and, and archery um, and you're looking at a, a minimum of, you guys are putting them on, it sounds like a minimum of a three to three twenty bull or above. Is that yeah? In, yeah. In, ho- in hopes they can hold their, hold it in their pants for a bigger one. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're getting, if you, if you can keep it together, you're going to have a shot at a, 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 you know, 340, 350, 360 plus bull, you know, they're, they're there, they're to be had. You just got to be patient with it. Let us help you put you know, get in that situation and be willing to pass on a couple elk to get that, that trophy bull on the ground. Um, as, uh, as mentioned before, it's uh, sheeprockoutfitters.com. Uh, we don't have a Facebook page currently. Uh, we are on Instagram, and it's just sheeprock underscore outfitters. Um, I try to keep up with that as much as I can um, of, of just in-hunt situations on our story to, you know, just stories of, of uh, guys hunting with us and just bulls that we are seeing in and around the ranch. Um, and even, you know, in, into the, to the winter months, you know, I try to keep, so I'm, uh, we're more active on the Instagram than anything. Uh, like I said, don't judge us on our, our webpage. We've actually never really had to reach out for new clientele. Um, one of our actually biggest, uh, issues is when somebody hunts with us, they try to rebook for five Ever, years, yeah. you know, and, and we just, we run limited amount of hunters and, and it's, uh, it, it just speaks for itself. You know, we've never had to market ourselves. Um, and we just literally get people word of mouth through, through people we've taken out. Um, and you know, our archery guys, when they walked out, they were trying to hand us a deposit for next year. And we were like, well, hold on, you know, let's, let's, let's step back and take a look at this or whatever. But well, and I've never hunted, um, you, you know, your property, but I can say with, without question, I mean, and I've lived in there for a long time. Uh, there is giant elk and there is a shitload of them. Uh, and again, some of the most beautiful country you could ask for surrounding it. So, uh, but yeah, give these guys a call. I don't know if you want to risk giving out your phone number. Um, that's yeah. up to you guys. Yeah, you can uh, you can always call me, uh, John Anderson, 651-408-2094. 
Um, I handle all the booking. Send them um, as many dick pics as you can. Uh, fuck yeah, off. Please. <laughs> you'll be, you'll be, uh, you'll be They'll blocked immediately. <laughs> oh, no. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to say, I'll just forward them to Aaron and I'll say, is this guy good or what? Yeah, no yeah I noticed. I recognize that one. He's a good hunter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, hell, man. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, um, appreciate it. Scott, thanks for making time in your schedule to come down here and, and, and spend some time talking with Aaron. No and, problem. I'm actually supposed to do a podcast with Pope and Young 50 minutes ago. So I'll hop oh, right on that after. No, whatever. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, I was. I, I wanted to get you guys on. This is the time of year people are asking me. Um, you know, a little nervous about over the counter and doing it on their own. And I'm like, hey, if, yeah, nothing wrong with it. I'll dive in. I just have a horrible memory. I'm like, oh yeah, my buddy. And then I fucking forget. So I wanted to get you guys on here uh, just for all the people asking me because I can vouch for the amount of animals and the caliber. And, and who you guys are. So again, uh, Sheep Rock Outfitters, and yeah, thanks for coming in, guys. Yeah, yep, thanks thank for taking you. time out of your day. Yep, no problem.